Take your Bibles. We'll begin by looking at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. I'm just going to read this verse. And it's not really the the text of the message, but I want to start here. And uh, this morning, I'm going to look at the essentials for a soul winner. Now, I'll be totally honest. Um, As I was preparing and thinking of this day and tomorrow to preach, I just, I was wrestling with the Lord because I felt like he wanted me to preach this message, but I kept saying, Lord, these students hear messages all the time on soul winning. They hear messages all the time on the Lord, you know, using you to impact people's lives. And I really wrestled with it, but I really feel like the Lord has something in here for maybe someone, and I'm going to preach it today, but I think the Lord can use it in your lives. And I know uh, who I'm speaking to today. I know the the passion and the heart of this school, and I trust that each of you have it, and I hope in some way to be an encouragement uh, today as we think of essentials for soul owners, essentials for soul owners. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. What God calls wise and something that we do is God uh, says is wise, then that's something I want to do. And he says, winning souls is something that is wise. It's something worth spending your time doing. It's something worth uh, spending the the money, even the the resources you have, to accomplish that goal. Let me tell you what, it takes time and resources to win souls to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to look at essentials for soul winners. As I uh, travel and I'm in different churches, one thing I realize is so prevalent is that churches and people are defeated in this area of winning souls. And I believe there's a lot of factors that play into it. But um, I want to be an encouragement this morning, hopefully give some real practical, helpful things. You know, we can hear a lot of sermons on preaching, but I really hope to, or so many, but I hope to give some real practical, helpful things. And uh, I think you'll see what I mean as we go through the message, things that have been a help to me and encouragement to me, but I believe the Lord can use them in your lives. As we look at the essentials of a soul winner, it begins, first of all, with a desire, with a desire. A desire deep down in your heart to win souls. You know, a lot of people accomplish a lot of things in this world because it begins with a desire. You have an athlete who says, I want to be the greatest athlete, I want to be that MVP, and so they put everything they've got into being that. And that's where their focus and energy is. They have a desire to do it. And that is where it begins with a soul winner. It begins with a desire to win souls to Jesus Christ. And I recognize that I think probably most people here have that desire. But it's a desire that has to be nurtured. It's a desire that has to be protected. Because we can easily lose that desire to see souls come to Christ. This desire begins when we see our responsibility in winning souls to Jesus Christ. You know the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, but this was given not just to those disciples, of course, it was given to us, the future generations of disciples of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, Jesus said, uh, came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Friend, it's our responsibility. 
Our responsibility ought to motivate us. It ought to give us that desire to win souls to Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel 33, we have the great picture of a watchman. And I've been motivated by this so many times, and it's produced a desire in me to win souls to Jesus Christ. This analogy of a watchman. What a big responsibility the watchman had. He had to stand there and look for the enemy coming, right? And his job was to sound the trumpet. And once he sounded that trumpet of warning, his job was really done. It was on the hearers to do something about it. And uh, we have a great responsibility to sound the trumpet of warning in people's lives and say, hey, the bridge is out. Eternity is coming. You don't know when you're going to slip into eternity. But friends, do you realize today it's your responsibility? I know you do. I know you do. But have you lost that desire for souls? Have you lost that the responsibility lays on you? If someone has a desire to, to win souls, it obviously uh, requires our heart to be in tune with God. I think this is a great barometer in a church's life, in a school's life, in a person's life, is to, to see what the, the temperature in their soul, in that, that body of believers, what the temperature is about souls. Are they all uh, fired up and ready to uh, go out and win souls and, and bringing people to church and doing whatever they can to uh, meet people and give them the gospel? And it's a great barometer to see how in tune we are with God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And I just love the simplicity of this fact that we see here in Matthew chapter 4. And it shows us how close we are really to the Lord. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18. Matthew 4, verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's a great principle in this. If you're following Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, you will become a fisher of men. And churches that, have are, that are void of people that are winning souls... It gives you a good uh, barometer and a test to how close those people really are with Jesus Christ. You can think you're walking with Jesus. You can think you're really meeting with him. But if you don't have a desire and a hunger to see souls come to Jesus Christ, there's something disconnected. Are you walking close with the Lord? Do you have that passion like Jesus in Matthew 9, 36 through 88? He was moved with compassion. I can remember several times in my own personal life, and often when I see a crowd, I remember one time I was at a, a high school football game in, in our town, and the, the stands were just packed, a couple thousand people there, and it just hit me for some reason as I'm sitting there that the vast majority of these people will spend eternity in hell. And it just took my focus off the game for a little bit, and I was just thinking to myself, that's terrible. The vast majority of these people living in my community, you know, driving past my house and I'm driving past their house, we interact, and the vast majority of them will spend eternity in hell. It hit me. And I hope there's times and moments where it hits you and that desire is rekindled. But one thing is certain, as we get revived, as we walk closely with the Lord, and that's what this school is all about, walk close with the Lord, and it will just naturally flow out of you to be a soul winner and a winner of souls. You can see throughout history, as revival sweeps lands and sweeps churches, one thing that is always true of a true revival is that there is a new, renewed passion 
for the winning of souls. You could go throughout history and look at the different revivals and you'll see missionaries and um, whole missionary movements that came out of one revival. This is true in the Welsh revival. 1904, there were church missionaries sent all around the world as a result of this revival. A few years ago, my wife and I spent about three months in South Africa, and we were helping a missionary there. And uh, I, while we were down there, I met these other missionaries. Uh, they were actually uh, nationals. They were called Afrikaans. And, uh, but they grew up there, and they were actually uh, part of a ministry that uh, John George Govan had started. And maybe you've heard the name of him, but he was someone that was impacted by a revival in, in Scotland, started a ministry that eventually went to South Africa. And even to this day, there were people there that were preaching the gospel. We wouldn't line up with them on a lot of things, but they were preaching the gospel. And that was a direct result of revival 100, over 100 years later. And so revival always leads to people becoming concerned about the souls of men. And I know that's the heart of this, this school, and I'm not going to spend a bunch more time here. But friends, are you walking close with the Lord? Don't deceive yourself. If there isn't a deep desire and passion for souls, you're not as close to Jesus as you think you are. Let's get close to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning, you've lost that desire. And there are so many reasons that uh, could hinder that desire. Maybe you've gotten away from walking with the Lord. Maybe you've uh, gotten your, the wrong focus. You've moved from an eternal focus in life to a temporal focus. And this is so prevalent today amongst Christians. They have no eternal focus. They're living for this world. They're living for the things of this life that have no eternal value. And that's one of the biggest challenges is getting Christians to think beyond this life. Think about eternity. And boy, you can start making a difference when every day you're thinking about eternity. How can I impact eternity? How can I leave a gospel track with someone? How can I give someone a, a gospel witness today and have an impact in eternity? Maybe you've lost the wrong focus. Perhaps there's sin. There's plain old sin in your life that is squelching the, the desire and the hunger for winning souls. There's nothing like sin and this world that will steal and rob that desire in a person's life. And young people, be careful when you get out of an environment like this where you're so uh, constantly around uh, people that are challenging, constantly hearing the, the, the Word of God preached and being challenged in your classes. When you get home and you're out of this environment, watch your heart because the world and sin will so quickly steal that desire for winning souls. Make sure that you stay close to the Lord, that you cleave unto the Lord and never let him go. Stay close to him. I'm always uh, encouraged by great preachers of the past and some of the things they've said. Here's a couple quotes. John Rice said, not till I die or not till Jesus comes will I ever be loosed from this, this burden and these tears for lost souls. Is that your heart? That was a man that was walking with the Lord. And that can be our heart as well. The Apostle Paul said, I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren. The church in Acts went everywhere telling the gospel. Obviously, they had that great desire to spread the gospel, to win souls to Jesus Christ. Be burdened for the souls of men. It really, it's just a natural thing for a Christian. That Christian's been delivered from hell. Why not share it? 
You've heard the, heard the testimony of a man. He graduated uh, from a public university, and he, he actually got saved during his time in public university. And he said once he got saved, he just started spreading the gospel. He just started telling people about it because he didn't know what else to do. He thought, I have to tell other people. And that should be just a normal thing for a Christian to tell others what God has done and how he's delivered them. Don't lose the wonder of it all. Don't lose the glory of the salvation that you've been given. Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. May God rekindle that desire if it's not there. And if it is there, may it just burn brighter and brighter and uh, motivate you with urgency to move and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first essential for a soul winner is there has to be a desire to win souls. Secondly, and this is where I want to get really practical, begins with prayer. You must pray. Begins by praying for the sinner. Recognize their condition. Uh, plead for souls. Uh, maybe you've been challenged with this before, but do you have a list of, of people in your life that maybe no one else is praying for, that no one else comes into contact with regularly or, or semi-regularly? Is there a list of people that you're seeking to win to Jesus Christ that on a daily basis you're praying for them? Oh God, open their eyes. Show them the truth. Show them your goodness that leads to repentance. Show them the, the, just the, the, the beauty of salvation. Do you have that list? Very practical. Start writing down that list. Start, start a prayer list of people, coworkers, relatives, whoever it may be, that you can seek to win to Jesus Christ. But begin to pray. Pray for that sinner. Pray for them to see. Uh, I was challenged by this, to pray for them to see God's goodness. Oh, man, just that, that person that's walking on the street, God has been so good to them and they don't even realize it. They need to see God's goodness. Pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Pray that the Spirit of God just clamps down on that sinner and he convicts them of their sin and opens their eyes to the spiritual realities. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 4 talks about Satan has blinded the eyes of this world. And those blinders need to come off. We need to pray for that blinders. It reminds me of, of when I was younger and uh, in Waukesha County, which is the county we're in right now, uh, there's a, a uh, called Laugham Peak. It's like a state park or a county park or whatever. But they have a tower, and maybe some of you have been up there. And when we've, I've gone up there, we'd go up there in, in, in high school and stuff. And uh, when we'd get up to the top, it's probably like 80 feet tall. It's considered the highest point in Waukesha County. But when you go up there, I mean, it's, it's a good ways down there. And, of course, there's railings all around there. But one thing we would do as kids is we would stand about five feet away from the railing, close our eyes with our backs to the railing, and we'd have someone push us back there. And your mind just starts imagining you're on the edge of this, this tower. And, of course, there's railings, but still something about it just messes you up. And uh, imagine you're there, and you're right on the edge, blindfolded, and you take the blinders off, and you realize... Wow, this is a dangerous situation. No, no railings. And that's what we need this world to do. That's what we want that, that sinner we're praying for, that the blinders would come off. They would see they're on the precipice of hell. That was one of the great things that uh, Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, he, he likened them to that spider on a web, just a string holding them from hell. 
And that is the reality. Just last week, there was that pile up in Texas. Six souls went into eternity. Maybe you saw some video footage of that. Just awful. But that could be anyone that we come into contact. They're into eternity. We don't even realize it. Are you burdened for souls? Are you praying for souls? Are you praying that Satan would give, uh, that the blinders that Satan has put on them would be taken away, that they get spiritual understanding to understand the gospel? Boy, Satan has blinded people and he's confused people so much. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I was at someone's house with another soul owner, and we spent over an hour in this home. It's a Lutheran family. And we were going through the gospel, and they were just tied up on infant baptism. And we would say one thing, and they would say, we believe with that. And then they would say a statement, and I'd be like, but that's not what the Bible says. And we were going back and forth, and it was a great conversation. The door is still wide open, but there was confusion. Only God can open the eyes and give them understanding to show them the distinction. And that's where our part comes in. Pray for that sinner. Pray for the blinders to come off, for the understanding to come so that they could be saved. So we're to pray for the sinner. Pray also, though, for yourself, the soul owner. How do you pray for the soul owner? First of all, pray for Christ's heart for souls. Maybe you'd sense, I don't have that passion. Maybe like I once had. Say, Lord, give me that passion again. Give me your heart for souls. Pray for boldness, right? We see this in Acts chapter 4. They prayed for boldness, that they would be unashamed. Boy, it's so easy to be to coward and to think, ah, I'm not going to do it. Maybe they've heard it before. Maybe I'm not the right one to give them the gospel track. Maybe I'm not the right one, right? We've all had that. Pray for boldness. Lord, give me boldness to open my, my mouth. Luke eleven 13, we're to pray for the Holy Spirit's power. He then, he being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall the Holy God, the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And this is a real key. Oh, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I need your Spirit's enabling. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, we see what did Paul, when he came into Thessalonica, he came in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Holy Spirit's power is essential in this matter of winning souls. We can't do it on our own, and you know that. We need the Spirit's power. Christ told the believers in Jerusalem to wait until they were endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1-8, they received the Holy Spirit, right? But they were to wait. They weren't supposed to get started because it's wasting your time to do it without the Holy Spirit's power. You're missing that, the dynamic of both the Word and the Holy Spirit if we are not filled with the Holy Spirit and in His power. We're to pray for wisdom. Have you ever had a, a person that you really want to see saved? God's put them in your life, but you just don't know how to get in there. You don't know how to, to, to get them to have a conversation even about the gospel. We need to pray for wisdom. I'm thinking of a man that probably over, I think, maybe even before I came to college here, that we did work for him. He's unsaved, and to this day, he's still unsaved. But you know, I visit him regularly. I went hunting with him about a year and a half ago. Uh, I check in. I go there often. About two years ago, his uh, oldest son committed suicide. He overdosed. Uh, His daughter has had brain aneurysms and things like that. And I've been there. I've been able to go and hear what's going on in their life. And I've repeatedly gone to their house, talked to them about the gospel, invited them to events. They've come to different events at the church. But I need wisdom because I've done just about everything I can. 
And I've just got to keep uh, seeking to give them the gospel to win them to Christ. We need wisdom as the soul owner. And friends, there's a lot of situations we're going to come into in our lives, and we need just God's wisdom. How do I say it? How do I open my mouth? What are the words that I need to say? And it takes a lot of faith. That, must, that is for sure. So pray. Begin praying for the sinner. Pray for that list of people that you are seeking to win to Christ. Pray for yourself that God would make you an effective, powerful soul owner. So the, we've seen the first two essentials. It begins with a desire. It moves on to prayer. But number three, you must give it. This is obvious. You must give it. And this is where I want to be really helpful and really practical. When I'm in churches and there's people sitting there who are scared to death about sowing and they don't, you know, they feel so ineffective and so uh, not able to do it. And sometimes they just need one little thing, one little practical way that they can be used to help bring a soul to Christ. And I want to be helpful in this, uh, in this part, especially of the message. But you must give the gospel. A few years ago, as many of you know, my wife is from Ireland. And so we regularly try to go back there. And, of course, that includes a lot of air travel. And uh, we're in the midst right now. It's been over a year since we've been there. And uh, my, her, uh, my mother-in-law and her family, they can't come over here because of all the COVID stuff. And so we're right now trying to figure out how can we get over there. There's a six-month-old grandson that they haven't been able to see and they want to really see and all that stuff. But a few years ago, we were uh, heading over to Ireland. And typically we fly out of Chicago. And uh, when we got to this particular time, as much as possible, I try to get a direct flight, Chicago to Dublin. It's just nice and easy and quick. But this particular time, for whatever reason, uh, we had a, a flight that went from Chicago to Philadelphia and then Philadelphia to Dublin. And so we get to the airport, plenty of time. We're at our gate uh, waiting to board for the flight to Philadelphia. Now, already our layover time in Philadelphia was only just over a little over an hour. That's not a lot of time, but it's enough time. You don't like hanging out at the airport all day. So it's just enough time to get to the next gate. Well, as we're waiting at our gate in Chicago, they come over the speaker and say, this flight's been canceled. Uh, there's another flight leaving at such and such time. And you're, everyone's going to have to go down to such and such gate and try to get on that flight. Well, guess what? My wife and I just booked it because this, this plane was already going to be full. And now they're putting us all on another plane that was probably already full. And so anyways, we booked it down there and we were able to get on this next flight, but it's leaving about 45 minutes later. And as you can imagine, I'm just thinking to myself, this is going to be crazy. How are we supposed to get from this to the next flight? And so anyways, we got on the flight and even on the way to Philadelphia, I'm asking the, uh, the hostess there, I'm like, can you check where this gate is going to be? And she, she couldn't find it. And she's like, you're just going to have to, uh, when you get off the plane, you're going to have to find it then. So anyways, we land in Philadelphia and you know how it is if you've ever traveled, everyone else crowds into lane and you're trying to, you know, you need to get out as quick as possible. Anyways, we finally get off the plane and time is ticking. And I asked the lady right out of the gate, I've learned, don't just try looking yourself. Just ask someone. They know what's going on, okay? So I asked someone right away. I said, we need to get on this flight, go into Dublin. Where is it, and how do we get there? And the lady looked, and she said, oh, boy, you're going to need some help. And she's like, what you're going to do is Philadelphia is what I call a major league airport, okay? Yes, Dr. Jim and I have talked about this. There's major league AAA and AA airports, and this is a major league airport. And so you've got to go a long ways. You've got to get on a bus shuttle that takes you over to another terminal. And uh, uh, she's like, you're going to need help. She's like, go down to the end here. You're going to get on the bus, 
And um, when you get there, I'm going to phone down to the next terminal, and they're going to have one of those golf cart things there waiting for you. And they'll pick you up and race you over to your gate. We, at that time, we just had one son, and we had the car stroller and all that. And so finally, we, we get on the bus, and sure enough, we got down to the other terminal, and right as the lady had said, there was a golf cart waiting there. And we jumped on there, and we start, you know, how they honk the horn, and everyone just moves out of the way. They're probably thinking us, what's wrong with these people? But um, we were just running behind, and so finally, we get close to our gate. You know, we're counting down. We're getting close to our gate. And do you know the feeling, if you've ever traveled before, you, you see your gate, you're walking to your gate, and it's empty, like no one's there. All right, we're coming up to our gate, and it's empty. There's, the only two people are the people standing behind the counter. The whole area was just quiet and vacant. The only good thing was the door was still open. And so we pull up there, and the lady's like, oh, we'll still be able to get you on. They're actually removing a lady who's a little too inebriated. And so uh, that the only reason why we were able to get on the plane that night. But as I thought about that illustration, it reminded me of soul winners. Soul winners are helping people get to the right gate, pointing the direction, helping them get there. Just like that lady who said, you're going to such and such a gate, you're gonna, this is how you get there, and I'm going to help you get there. That is what a soul owner does. He says, you're going to the wrong gate, the wide gate, the broad way. You need to go to the straight gate, and this is how you get there, and let me help you. That's what a soul owner does. We've got to give the gospel. Now, this begins, obviously, with knowing the gospel, knowing how to share it. I'll be totally honest. Uh, when I came to school, before I came to college, I didn't have a clear plan in my mind of giving the gospel. I could have told you what the gospel was. Uh, there was one man, gentleman I had led to the Lord prior to, prior to college. But when I came to college and took Natcasters, for the first time, I had a clear presentation in my mind where I could actually... Be confident. If someone were to come up to me and say, hey, how do I go to heaven? I could sit down and just go boom, boom, boom and show them the gospel. And so it begins with knowing the gospel. And I trust each person here would feel comfortable in walking someone through the gospel verse by verse. And that's something we need to work on, something we need to develop, because there's going to be so many different angles that uh, we're going to come across, people that have all sorts of different strongholds that we've got to use the word of God and confront that wrong thinking. So begin by knowing the gospel. Take time to learn a plan and practice it. And of course, you guys have already done that, I trust. But turn with me to Luke chapter 5. I love this, uh, this truth here. Luke chapter 5, verse number 17. Luke 5, 17. We'll read through verse 20. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea in Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. The phrase that sticks out to me there for a soul owner is they sought means to bring him in. That's what a soul owner does. Someone who is desiring people to come to Christ is praying for them. He's going to be looking for ways to get that person to Jesus. Why? Jesus is their answer. He's their only hope. 
In the, the soul owner's mind, he's thinking, all I've got to do is get that person to Jesus, and they'll be healed eternally. And just like these men, they did whatever was necessary to get that man to Jesus. That is what a soul owner does. He looks for ways, obviously within biblical guidelines, to bring people to Jesus Christ. Seek means. Maybe there's someone in your life, and you've tried knocking on their door, you've tried going back. Maybe there's other means that you can use to bring them to Jesus Christ. Um, I tell people to have a key phrase. You know, you come across someone, you start a conversation, have a key phrase or something that you can quickly go to to get into the gospel. Learn to turn the conversation to the gospel. And I know in netcasters they talk about that, turning the conversation. Very important. But, you know, there are so many different ways to turn the conversation. A soul owner is going to be looking for all these different ways. Just the other day, uh, I heard a new analogy that I, I'm going to try to use sometime. It was the comparison of, a, of an airport and an airplane and, and how church is like an airport. It won't get you anywhere. You've got to get on an airplane. And so I'm constantly looking for ways like that and ways to turn the conversation, uh, how to get into conversations with someone. Uh, I was at, came out of a gas station once in our area, and there was someone looking at a map. And I could tell they didn't know where they were and, you know, how to, where they were going. And this was just a couple of years ago, so they probably must not have had a GPS or anything like that. But anyways, I went over to her and said, hey, do you know where you're going? And was able to help give her directions. And what an easy conversation turner, right? Now, let me ask you this. Before, I let you, before you go, do you know where you're going when you die? Look for ways to turn the conversation and to seek means to bring people to Jesus Christ. Just about every person, no matter who you are, there's some unique thing about you uh, that you can use to turn the conversation with people. I told my wife, I said, you know, people ask you all the time about your Irish accent. They say, where are you from? And uh, I said, what a great opportunity, a great way to turn the conversation. And so we came up with this idea where she could say, if, you know, someone asks, where are you from? She can say, I'm from Ireland. And then there'll be the next question is always, how did you get here? And so we came up with this idea that she could say, well, I met my husband in Bible college. And now we got, we got married and we travel the country telling people how they can know for sure they're going to heaven. Boom. She turned the conversation right into the gospel. My brother, they have some redheads in their family. And so they took the, they would have people ask them all the time. Where do you get that red hair from? Because dad has really dark hair and mom has black hair. And so they wrote a little gospel track that says, where, did I, where I got my red hair? And so next time, every time people ask them, where, you know, where do you get that red hair? They can say, here's where I got it. But it gives them the gospel. Every single person, a soul owner, is going to look for ways to give people the gospel. You need to start viewing uh, your life and the things you do in your life as not just uh, important things of life, but these are ways to get into people's lives. No matter what it is, maybe you have a job and uh, there's so many different ways in, in your job, maybe that you come into contact with people. And I realize, you know, when you're on the clock with someone else, you have to be really sensitive of that. But maybe there's times in your life and on a regular basis, you come into contact with people. Have you sought means in that situation to bring them to Jesus Christ? I learned this from my dad, but uh, we have a shed business. And when I'm not preaching and I uh, have to pay the bills, I build storage sheds. And um, my dad viewed that business as an opportunity to give people the gospel. 
And all the time, you know, when I'm uh, meeting customers or whatever, I'm right in their home, oftentimes sitting down at their kitchen table, and I'm constantly looking for ways, how can we get to the gospel? And just the combination of being able to uh, be honest with them, be straightforward with them, communicate with them, and live it before them and see it, they can see it in our lives, is such a powerful dynamic and opens up the door so often to give people the gospel. A couple years ago, uh, there was a uh, customer who called us up. He lived right in McQuantico. And I went over and met with him. He wanted a, a big shed. He was calling it like a garage, but it ended up being a weight room and a workout gym. But um, I've never seen a weight room. And, a, a, you know, he spent a lot of money on this. But anyways, we're there and he's spending a lot of money. So we're going over the details a lot. And um, the conversation, he was an inquisitive man. And we often were able to start talking about other things. But through that process of us being with him, working there, uh, he saw how honest we were, how we kept our word. The Lord used that in his life. And it would open up the conversation to talk about spiritual things. And I remember having a conversation where he was asking me, well, what about all the people like in Amazon, the Amazon who'd never heard the gospel? I remember just right on the spot, the Lord gave me a great answer. It says, you know, all the time I'm meeting people that I had no clue exist, but they're giving the gospel in parts of the world I didn't even know. And I said, you don't know that there's people that there aren't people down in the Amazon giving the gospel. And uh, I was able to answer that question. And over a process of time, this man and his son and now his wife have come to know the Lord. Uh, just last fall, both he and his son uh, uh, got baptized and joined the church. About two months ago, his wife had started coming to church regularly, and she got saved. Um, they actually had been divorced for a long period of time. And about uh, three months ago, they actually got remarried. They had neither have re had remarried. They had just gotten divorced and were living separate. And then they started living together. He got saved. And next thing, they wanted to get that straightened out. So they got their marriage straightened out. And what a joy. I mean, let me tell you what. There is nothing greater in life than to be used of God in people's lives, to, to see them come to Christ and to be transformed. A few weeks ago, there was a message preached at our church on music. And this lady that I was just talking about, uh, she grew up, I mean, she had, uh, they both had quite a rough lifestyle. They had been uh, drugs and alcohol and their lives had been destroyed. In fact, the man who got saved for eight generations prior to his father were doctors. In fact, if you go to John Hopkins University, he said, there's a whole wing called Bennett Wing. And that was because of his great, 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 whatever grandpa. And all these doctors in his line. And his dad became an alcoholic and just ruined it. And he said, I'm not going to make the same mistake my dad made. He saw himself going down the same path. And he just, when he was younger in his life, he got rid of alcohol and decided not to touch it. Became a very successful person. But there's nothing like seeing God transform a person. And it begins with the gospel. But as I was saying, this lady... Uh, she was heavy into, she had been in like the drug culture and all that, and uh, she got saved. And of course, in that culture, rap music is very big, very big deal. And she said, that was my, my music, rap. And just a few weeks ago at our church, there's a message on music. And uh, the next day, she told me, uh, we were at a banquet together, and um, she was telling us that that morning at work, she and one of her coworkers went down to Starbucks, they were all getting drinks. And the lady got in the car, it was her car, and turned on rap music. And for the first time, 
This lady who had been saved just a few weeks before looked over at her friend and says, we can't listen to that. That's wrong. And she was shocked she was saying it because that was her music. But God was transforming them. God was changing them. And what a wonderful opportunity as Christians we have to see God change people's lives. You need to get a vision for people's lives that you come into contact with. Maybe it's a, a, a family that you're working with. A, maybe you're working with the children and one of the music opportunities you have or the bus or some outreach. Get a vision for what God could do in this family. And trust God to do it. Have you, are you seeking means to bring people to Christ? In our church, there was a young man who became a bus driver because he wanted to reach people. He was seeking means to bring people to Christ. Another young man became a, a, a meat salesman. He goes all around southeastern Wisconsin, door to door, selling meat. But he particularly chose that job because he wanted to give the gospel. Seek means. Look for ways to bring people to Christ. We are to be witnesses, as the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're not to be silent witnesses. We're to be witnesses, open the mouths, and give the gospel. So the third essential is we must give it. And friends, this requires faith. It requires faith. Say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use me, but I believe you can. You say, I don't think God can use me to, to see people saved. God can use you. I think I'm around people that um, one particular man, he's not a great communicator. You know, sometimes he's awkward, but he is, believes God that God can use him to give the gospel. And he regularly opens his mouth, gives the gospel. And I'm just amazed at how the people he's able to talk to about the gospel because he believes God and he steps out of his comfort zone. And so the third essential is you must give it. And the final one, I'll just touch on this. The essential for a soul owner is you must live it. Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I like to say, live it and give it. Live it and give it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You know what that word conversation means? is behave as a citizen. Behave as a citizen of heaven. You're a Christian. The gospel has uh, impacted your life. You're a follower of Christ. Let your lifestyle, the way you live, behave in a manner that is fitting with the gospel. Friends, this is such a big deal. In fact, the, the gentleman that I was talking about that got saved through uh, our shed business, um, one of the biggest things he was turned off at towards Christianity was there were people in his life who he said were the biggest hypocrites. And finally, he met people who said they were Christians and actually lived it. And friends, the way we live is such a big deal. I hear people talking about how they you know, got all upset at their neighbor because the, the dog went to the bathroom on their yard. And I think to myself, as a Christian, how are you going to ever go and give them the gospel if you blew up at them about something like that? You've got to live it before them. One of the greatest challenges to me, I, there was a missionary when I was in seminary here. One of the missionaries uh, that taught, this was his life verse, and I love it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. He said, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There's people out there that are going to come to Christ. You don't necessarily know who they are, but they're watching you. 
And we need to endure all things because there's people watching us. They're looking at our life and they may be turned off at the gospel because of something you said or something you did. We need to endure all things and say, you know what? The dog, neighbor dog can go on my yard all he wants. I'll just clean it up because that's going to allow me an opportunity to give him the gospel. We have to think that way as soul winners. We've got to live it. We've got to treat people in our lives uh, the way that Christ would so that they are drawn to salvation. There's so many more things that I could say, but we must live it. We must live the gospel. The way we live makes a big deal in this world. Spurgeon said, God save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. Let's give of our lives to spread the gospel. Let's do something that God says is wise, the winning of souls. And boy, when you see people come into Christ, it just gives you that desire. I want to see that more. I want to see God use me. And friends, he can use you and he will use you. And one day when you're in ministry, you've got to teach your people that God can use you. You've got to seek means to bring people to Christ. You've got to pray. You've got to live it. You've got to have that desire. And so may God somehow encourage you today. Maybe he gives you a seed thought and say, wait, maybe I can try this as a means to bring people to Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is, but I trust that in some way this has been a help and a blessing. Um, as we live the gospel, it reminds me of a quick story. I was, uh, heard about a Sunday school worker. And she was helping one of her students put on his boots. And uh, he asked for help, and she could see why. And with her pulling and him pushing, the boots still didn't want to go on. If you're a Sunday school worker, maybe you can relate to this. When the second boot was on, she had worked up a sweat. She almost whimpered when the little boy said, Teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She looked, and sure enough, they were. It wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it was putting them on. She managed to keep her cool as together they worked to get the boots back on, this time on the right feet. Then he announced, these aren't my boots. She bit her tongue rather than get right in his face and scream, why didn't you say so? Like she wanted to. Once again, she struggled to help him pull the ill-fitting boots off. He then said, they're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. She didn't know if she should laugh or cry. She mustered up the grace and courage she had left to wrestle the boots on his feet again. Then she said, now, where are your mittens? And he said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. <laughs> People are watching the way we live. And that will either help us as we give the gospel or hinder us as we give the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, would you help us today to be soul winners? Oh, Lord, I know, I'm sure these young people have that desire. But maybe there is some practical way that they would uh, recognize that they can incorporate into their life to begin to seek means to bring people to Christ. Something different maybe than they're doing right now. And so, Lord, would you just in some way work in lives, encourage them that God can use them to bring people to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.